always be people who seek to divide young people in particular and to drive them away from politics and to make sure their voices aren't heard. And I think, you know, from my point of view as a young person in politics, I'm very keen to actually see the opposite. No matter whether they vote for me or my party or not, I don't really mind. Um, But what I do mind is seeing young people left out of the conversation. Hey there, this is Adam, and you're listening to District Conversations. Don't worry, you won't have to listen to this post-electric picnic voice for too long, because this week you'll be listening to Noel Rock, TD for Fine Gael. I sat down with him last month, when I was in much better form, to talk about the issue of ticket touting, which he has crusaded against during his career as Fine Gael's youngest TD. Be sure to keep your ear out for next week's podcast as well. It'll focus on solutions to the touting problem, features an interview with TicketSwap CEO Hans Ober. TicketSwap is a fan-to-fan resale platform operating across Ireland, the UK and Europe that aims to protect fans from touts and scammers. So, um, so yeah, I'm here with Noel Rock. Uh, yeah, I'm the Fine Gael TD for the north side of Dublin, um, the youngest government TD, and I'm uh, putting forward a bill to uh, stop ticket touting. Very good. So, yeah, I was um, I was wondering, before we get into the um, the bill itself, I was wondering if you wanted to give us a bit of background on, uh, on yourself, how you got into politics. Yeah, I mean, my route would be fairly non-traditional. Um, my family wouldn't have been involved in politics. Um, they would have voted for all sorts of different parties when I was younger. Um, but I was lucky enough that I got an internship in my first year of college with uh, with Hillary Clinton. Um, wow. Yeah, so that kind of started me off on the road of politics. I thought I wanted to be a journalist before that, but that kind of turned me head, you know, because, um, you know, politics fundamentally is about people and their stories and making a difference in their lives. So, uh, you know, that was something I uh, I bought into, and now here we are 10 years later. Very good. Um, so the bill that you're putting forward into uh, Leinster House, uh, that is, it's primarily against ticket reselling. Yeah, that's right. Uh, particularly above cost ticket reselling. So the name of the bill is the Prohibition of Above Cost Ticket Resale Bill 2017. And what it seeks to do is quite simply to prevent the resale of tickets for above face value. Um, we modelled it on a similar piece of legislation that was initiated in Belgium about two years ago. And when it was brought into law uh, we saw several of the major reselling websites shut down overnight so it's quite clear that unless there's a major profit incentive and unless there's a major commission involved that a lot of these ticket resale websites frankly aren't interested in the business Mm. and you know they aren't interested in fans Um, and you know over the last three years even what we've seen I think is quite clear to any music fan what we've seen is demand for big ticket events go through the roof such that the competition is ferocious and it's quite difficult to get tickets no matter how well you set yourself up on your laptop or how many laptops you set up or how many people you know in your group are trying to get a ticket it's just more difficult than ever and it it seems to me that the reason for that is that ticket touting has become more formalized more professionalized than ever before you know, is that with the advent of the internet? I, I think so. Yeah, I think technology plays a very big role in it, and um, the ease of accessibility plays a very big role in it, and um, even just the ability to plan ahead, um, in a way that you perhaps couldn't before. And I always go back to the example of the U two concerts in Croke Park, whereby any tout would have known that U two tickets were going on sale about a year in advance, 
they would have known that anyone who's a member of the U2 fan club can get advance access to tickets before they go on sale to the general public. And they'd also know that it's only about 40 or 50 quid per annum to sign up for a fan club access. And there's probably, you can probably get a lot more tickets that way than just by logging on to Ticketmaster. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly you can set up multiple U2 fan club accounts, you know. You could set one up as Noel Rock and then set one up as, I don't know, your your brother Neil Rock and, mm. and your brother Niall Rock. And, you know, suddenly you've got access to maybe a dozen tickets advance on sale for maybe 150 quid of membership costs and you'd know that you can sell those tickets for maybe five maybe ten times face value within 24 hours so it's kind of a no risk proposition yeah nearly a get rich quick scheme yeah very much so so i was wondering do you have any any personal um stories about why you're so against ticket touting or is it just a just a stand that you take i think um one thing that festered in my head it's a sports story and myself and my friend connor um, used to go to um, uh, rugby games every Stevens Day and I think it was maybe the second or third year we were going to it um, we we couldn't get a ticket for whatever reason um, and we were outside the stadium and a tout was offering us tickets for maybe two, two and a half times face value and a lot of humming and hawing and we decided, you know, we'll, we'll go for it we'll, so we kind of stuck the hand in the pocket started counting the money and then this woman kind of got in the way, got in between us and the tout and said, no, no way, I'm not seeing anyone paying that that amount for tickets. And um, she gave us two tickets for free. Really? Uh, which I thought was tremendously generous, first of all, and was very much in keeping with the spirit, I think, of kind of sport as well. Um, you know, she had two spare tickets. She saw, saw two young lads effectively paying what was probably our entire Christmas budget almost yeah. um, on, on two tickets. And she said, no. And... It was funny that the tout, who was very friendly up until then, absolutely effing and blinding at us and at the woman who'd given us the tickets as well. And it just kind of, it always stuck in my head that I thought that this maybe isn't right, that this market maybe isn't right, and that maybe something needed to be done about it. So uh, recently you went undercover uh, to purchase some tickets from touts uh, on a kind of a naked camera without the comedy uh, (laughs) style um, you know, you had a little hidden camera, you went up to the tow and you called one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could give us some uh, some information on, on that. Yes, I mean, like that was a kind of a, you know, a, I suppose a fun experiment to kind of demonstrate the principle of what I've been talking about all this time. And um, so it was the weekend of the Six Nations game, uh, Ireland versus England. Uh, it was shaping up to be a huge fixture potentially and a decisive one uh, but then we lost the previous match so it wasn't quite the deciding fixture for the Six Nations that it could have been it was also the weekend of, uh, of Patrick's Day as well so it was looking like it was going to be a huge huge event with you know tickets being uh, touted online before we lost the previous game for up to 2,500 euros a piece it was incredible and with tickets like do you actually see people buy them or are they just like chances so, so, some of them some of them are just to to generate headlines almost right yeah. and to demonstrate the, the issue but no you did see transactions going through for four figures because like you said if people have the money and they want to see it yeah if people are desperate enough you know um, and there's a status thing as well I guess about being at certain events right um, in, in the business world and stuff like that like there is so at that end of things you do see people buying them but normally they're, they're buying them for a particular reason perhaps um, in terms of the, the undercover work though uh, yeah it was, it was good fun we cut a hole in my laptop bag we put a, a hidden camera in there we got two staff from the press office we 
brought them out as well with uh, with their mobile phones and and I went and I, I met a tout and filmed him and had a conversation with him and he was he was quoting I can't remember I think it's about four or five times face value for the tickets um, and I was looking at the tickets and they had the name of the individual on them and they had the name of the club that he'd gotten them off on them as well. Um, and you and know, in that club's bylaws, it probably oh says. Oh, yeah, in that club's bylaws, it says no. And in the IRFU's bylaws, it says no. Um, you know, all sporting organizations are very clear about ticket reselling, um, that it's prohibited. Um, but the problem is, from a sporting point of view, that there's no way of really enforcing that law. And are there any laws in place in Ireland right now about um, reselling of tickets? If a, if a guard saw someone. No, no. nothing at all. No, none. Uh, and, that, and that's the problem. Um, a lot of people thought and assumed there were because it's always been seen as kind of a shady practice. But actually, no, there are no laws in place. All there are are rules and regulations and the codes of conduct within the various sporting organisations. But there's nothing to stop us uh, doing a trade on tickets for the Ireland-Serbia soccer game right now or LCD sound system or whatever. So earlier we heard a we heard a personal story from yourself about um, a touting experience. I was wondering, uh, have any of your constituents or anyone gotten in touch over Twitter and told you any any horror stories? Yeah, absolutely. We got we got one a few weeks ago, which was oh, just the absolute worst. Um, it was this woman. Uh, I haven't met her, um, but she emailed us uh, about tickets she had purchased for U two. Uh, she had purchased four tickets, and her friends were traveling over from Portugal. I think it was. Uh, to attend the concert with her so they booked the flights they booked the hotel etc etc they booked them from a ticket resale website i won't say which one because i can't actually remember offhand it's not that i'm defending them i'd be delighted to drop them in it <laughs> but uh this ticket resale website like any of the major ones uh would provide what they call a ticket guarantee that they guarantee you a ticket um you know for this given event and that you don't need to worry about it and that it's all 100 percent legitimate and what have you so she bought these tickets for, I think it was effectively the front of the Hogan stand, reasonable tickets, supposedly with a circa 150 euro face value, and she was paying about 600 euro for them. So 600 per head times four, 2,400 euro plus commission. Fair whack of money, right? Yeah. For what were originally 600 euro worth of tickets, 2,400 euro. Day before the concert gets an email from said ticketing company. Uh, this transaction has now been cancelled, unfortunately, but thanks to our ticket guarantee uh, we'll still get you four tickets for the thing so day not exactly ruined or anything like that you know you know the hotel booking and the flight booking all still fine um, and they're still going to the concert but it transpired that when she got the tickets they were up in in the gods restricted view area uh, face value of something like 40 euro ahead mm. so she had paid 2400 euro for tickets with a combined value of 160 euro We've also got other ones as well, which are you know similarly terrible. And uh, we've got two of these of people who have booked tickets uh, off these websites, and they've been they've been duds. Now they've gotten a refund, but they've went to the venue and tickets haven't worked. And how can someone sell a dud through a, a, a second-hand ticket site? Sometimes just a chancer, and then yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes they don't directly, you know, these companies wouldn't directly handle the ticket. Yeah, it'd be the case that they might send you a stamped addressed envelope. Or a FedEx, uh, you know, um, sleeve or whatever, to send them directly to the person who's purchased them for you. Um, but the the company themselves wouldn't handle them. So it's actually quite easy to manipulate the kind of the trust relationship there 
because a lot of these websites obviously look quite you know legitimate and professional and they are but the people who are selling on them may not be so you know you have this kind of asymmetric relationship i suppose where the person buying is taking on all the liability really and the person selling can be a chancer and the middleman well they're still making fine commission fees yeah. anyway so you know like if you if you hand over that amount of money and you that that's a hefty dent in your bank yeah. balance you know you betcha and you're you're at a loss of that for potentially months because yeah. you might have bought from a tout website you know months in advance of a concert um, so to go for for that you know loss if you like of funds for four months and then to have nothing to show at the end of it it's pretty galling right yeah so like look i think it's a very gray area i think it's always been a very gray area um i think you know these websites all look very legitimate and what have you but fundamentally fans are still being mistreated left right and center and all the while all we're doing really is paying commission fees to middlemen who are fundamentally distorting the supply-demand equation in the first place. Okay. Um, so, finally, I thought I'd ask, um, do you think there might be any hurdles that this bill might face? Yeah, m- massive hurdles. Um, you know, we're certainly aware of industry lobbying um, against the bill already. You know, these companies are making an awful lot of money off this, so naturally they're going to fight very hard to keep that cash cow working. Um, so we're aware of a lot of lobbying and uh, you know arm twisting in relation to this and threats of jobs being lost and threats that this won't actually fix the problem it'll just drive it further underground etc 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 but I mean if you if you look at it in a very calm methodic way the threats don't really add up very good well I really hope it gets through um, for not just for my sake, but for everyone's sake. Cause yeah, I really appreciate that. I am sick of paying <laughs> mad money for, uh, can imagine. for a ticket. <laughs> it's an occupational hazard for <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for, for my very last question, I thought I would ask, um, is there anything you'd like to say to young people in Ireland who um, might feel a bit jaded and might have lost faith in the government? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, don't give in cynicism. Um, I think whatever you feel about politics and politicians and political parties um, you don't necessarily have to subscribe to one you can always just say that you know oh I like that idea from that party oh that person from that party seems okay that's fine that's a good approach to have it's a very healthy approach to have Um, I think cynicism and young people uh, getting themselves disinvolved from the political process can often see people like Donald Trump coming to power and I think that's the kind of ultimate thing that you should be very guarded against I think um, you know, there will always be people who seek to divide young people in particular and to drive them away from politics and to make sure their voices aren't heard. And I think, you know, from my point of view as a young person in politics, I'm very keen to actually see the opposite. No matter whether they vote for me or my party or not, I don't really mind. Um, but what I do mind is seeing young people left out of the conversation. And we see that time and time again. You know, we see it when it comes to, you know, for example, rent, uh, when it comes to the property market, when it comes to education, third level grants, uh, you know, uh, postgraduate grants. Uh, you see this pattern time and time again replicating itself of people in their 50s making decisions for people in their 20s. And I think it's quite clear now that there is the biggest divide emerging in Ireland is actually a generational divide. It's, it's, it's those in their 40s and over who have have property, had job opportunities, managed to accrue wealth before the Celtic Tiger, to those in their 20s 
late 20s, early 30s, who are actually working damn hard, working harder than ever, accruing internships, working to get experience, but forever find themselves kind of running up a downward escalator to a certain extent. And they're searching for answers. And I think the answer is to stay involved, uh, despite the cynicism and despite the frustration of it all, uh, stay involved in the process, because by walking away from it, you're only handing even more momentum to those people in their 50s and 60s. And I don't necessarily think that's uh, that's the best way to go. Okay, so there, there's hope still. Noel, thanks very much. Great. Thanks a lot. If you're a fan of heading to gigs and not getting ripped off, you'll want to check out next week's podcast as well, featuring an interview with Hans Ober, CEO of TicketSwap.